0: A statistician by qualification, Shui Agbade has evolved to becoming a resourceful learning and development specialist that is passionate about helping young professionals discover their purpose and become better versions of themselves. His journey into the world of knowledge transfer started in his National Youth Service days, where he served his nation as a mathematics teacher and later grew to become the head teacher at Meadow Hall Junior School, Lekki Lagos. He soon realized his newfound love of building and molding mines and decided to pitch his tents there. He obtained a BSc in Mathematics from the University of Lagos and has a PGDE as well as a Level 3 Award in Education and Training from Highfields Universities, UK in the bag. He is completing his MBA degree program with the University of Lagos while undertaking a master's in leadership from the Liverpool John Moores University, as well as an associate diploma in learning and development from the Chattered Institute of Personnel Development, CIPD, UK. As a learning technology enthusiast, he continually seeks 21st century pedagogy, receiving several certifications from Microsoft, Google and other technology giants. Being a lifelong learner himself, he has always been passionate about professional development, and this has seen him become a regular trainer and facilitator in several capacities including seminars and conferences such as the transformation summits the annual meadow hall educamp held in lagos and port harcourt which hosts hundreds of professionals yearly just to mention a few he has also served as a human capacity development consultant with a number of public and private institutions such as the lagos state ministry of education akma international school owned by salvation ministries Evergreen Schools, Enugu, and many more. He has influenced the lives of many globally with his many initiatives, such as the Impact Educators Virtual Conferences, 100 Seconds with Essay, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, with a rousing ovation, make welcome Shudi Agbide. In this session, we are honored to host Talashe de Francis, Talushe de Francis is a trained therapist, life coach, and mental health practitioner, with a track record of aiding people to move on from negative past experiences to focusing on their future with enthusiasm. He obtained trainings in biochemistry, cognitive behavioral therapy, mental health studies, psychological first aid, NLP to mention a few. He currently volunteers at Mentally Aware Nigeria Initiative MANI, where he serves as counselor and trainer. He also gives back by motivating young Nigerians at Solid Foundation Teens and Youth Ministry. He is the founder of the Mind and Health Community, which helps address mental health issues in the society, as well as TDF Integrated Services. He has spoken in different capacities on matters of mental health, at MTN Foundation Project ASAP Roundtable Conference 2019, TEDx Oshobo, TVC, Rave TV, Channels TV, Lagos Talks and British Deputy High Commissioner's Residence to mention just a few. He is also a current mentor at the Cherry Blair Foundation for Women in Business based on his skill at helping small business drive ideas and strategy, and currently serves as a board director at the World Federation for Mental Health. Ladies and gentlemen, to shed more light on complexes and how to rise above them, join me as we make welcome to Lachey Francis.
1: Good day, Mr. Tolusef Francis and you're welcome to the Impact Educators Conference. We're excited, we're happy to have you here with us. But do us the honor, sir, for the benefit of those that may not know you so very well or may be meeting you for the first time, please introduce yourself to us once again, sir.
2: Okay. so simply, my name is Toluse Dove Francis. I'm based in Lagos, Nigeria. I currently run an organization called Real Consulting. We're involved into training and um, offering therapy services in terms of mental health, emotional health, and um, relationship talks as well. I'm also a member of a number of organizations, and I'm also involved in gender-based violence, currently also serving as the Chief Operations Officer for Mental Health in Nigeria Initiative, which is a youth-led, youth-focused, youth-driven mental health organization, non-for-profit and non-governmental organization here in Nigeria. I'm an author, I run a podcast, I run a YouTube channel, can okay, just go on Google and just type my name, de France, to say everything about me in this whole world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, thank you very much, Mr. Toliche Francis. I mean, you've like you rightly said, you're quite involved in a number of things and we'll try to unpack them gradually. So, like you rightly said, you are a trained therapist, you're a life coach, and you're also a mental health practitioner. So please talk to us, how did you get into what you are doing right now? What motivated you to get into it and what has kept you going all this while?
2: Ah, that was an interesting question. Uh, That was a 3-in-1 question. So, how did I find myself here? So, in 2005, I lost my mom and um, I didn't know that that changed the course of my life. But I realized that a lot of things changed about me. I became a very quiet person. I became a loner, so to speak. Well, he wanted to be with himself, you know, and all that. It wasn't until 2013 when I returned from youth service and I was staying with a friend. That I realised that what I actually had was depression, right, uh, stemming from grief that i had held on for so many years, and he helped me find myself back, you know, and bounce back. Because then, as I returned from work, I was staying with him with we about three or so young guys staying together. I would just greet everybody, good evening, and I'll be off to do my thing. I wasn't interacting with anybody you know and all that so I said to myself look I could carry this for about eight years now imagine I mean people out there who are also going through this and are really not aware of whatever it is that they're experiencing so I decided to start studying into that aspect I had my first degree about chemistry you know so I said look this I want to do so while I was working I was getting my trainings and I started doing all these things on a free basis talk to people about mental people have mental health, of weight loss because I realized that uh, there was this craze about weight loss then. And I was like, why are people having to wait till they've added before they want to lose weight? So I started that. And that led to my first book where I wrote about Eat fits additional blueprint to healthy living. Later I realized that, look, there's something called eating disorders and maybe that's why like some people are losing weight or maybe that's why like they're adding weight. It was that further drove me to study much more. So initially i started to study eating disorders but then i realized that look it's much more than basic and then i started mental health basically to that point where i realized that look i'm not just i'm not happy that people are just educated people are just spoken to you are just an advocate what happens when everybody goes when they get the help that they really need where do they get that hand to pull them up and take them through the journey and so i started taking courses here and there that would give me the skills and the tools Idea to be able to help people practical. I call it getting dirty to work with people practical. So that's how I found myself in therapy. So I decided to take courses like NLP neuro linguistic programming, life coaching, cognitive behavioral therapy, emotional intelligence, and a host of other things, just to ensure that I have what is needed for me to actually engage people and offer that particular help that they need. So that's what I've been doing. And so um, while I was doing that on a part time like our uh, because something needs to follow something. So it's not enough for you to have a desire and have a passion. You need to get skilled in that particular thing and you need money to get skilled. So while I was working, I was getting all the trainings and building my capacity until I decided to go full time.
1: Wow. Wow. First of all, accept our condolences for your mom. May her soul rest in peace. And, um, uh-huh. <laughs> and so we can say that your personal experience is actually shaped what you're doing right now, which, which is, which is very interesting, fantastic. So um, do you have any mentors either in what you're doing right now or generally and are there some of them you'd like to share with us? So I, I have I have mentors, I have people that I
2: look up to, I have people that I run to for different things. So in terms of business, in this line, there is someone that I always, I know that I can run to like, ah, Lisa, this is what I plan to do. What do you think, please encourage me and all that. I don't go to them every time, right? I watch what they do and I try to, but when I'm stuck, I can go to them. I have other person, I just admire how they've grown in terms of their career, Right, and I'm usually very deliberate. I don't have mentors that I would say just because I'm looking at them from afar, they are my mentors. No, I think I can say I have three, two to three mentors in my life that I'm deliberate. These people are my mentors because I make a deliberate of saying, Look, please, I want you to be my mentor. I will always come to you when I need help with this. Right, I have those that I admire, but I think in this entire life of mine, I have just three people, two active that I can say, look, these people are my mentors.
1: All right, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, so considering what you're doing right now, what would you consider the greatest challenge that you're facing, especially in the Nigerian environment?
2: So, uh, the cost of healthcare is still expensive and people still feel that it's only someone who who is really mentally ill that needs therapy. Mental health is still experiencing that challenge where it's rated very, very much below and not considered as an important aspect of their health, right? So you have to encourage people to have these conversations. Um, You have to encourage people to be deliberate about getting help and even to realize that, look, it's not until you can't get out anymore before you seek help. So that is still there, that's the challenge. But I mean, we can't rely on the fact that people are holding these conversations in social media these days, but um, how knowledgeable are they? So that challenge of knowledge is still there. And applying the knowledge is still very much evident in the Nigerian environment today. So I mean, so we have to keep talking. We have to keep doing what is needed. And of course, you now have it being mixed with gender-based violence where people feel like they have every right to deal whatever they feel is necessary on the other person, you know. So it's quite a huge challenge. Are we getting there? Uh, maybe not, but are we improving? Yes, at least now people have conversation around me on social media. People are opening up, you know, gradually. A number of NGOs like the one I work with now um, have this opportunity where you can call in, there's an emergency. You have access to counsellors pro bono without paying anything whatsoever, you know. So, I mean, with that, a number of people are able to, you know, okay, let's try to be vulnerable a little bit. Let's talk to someone. And it's easier because they are not seeing this person. Before the advent of COVID, I had started virtual therapy, right? because I realized that, look, save costs, the cost of moving from your house to the hospital, from your house to say, you want to come to my office to consult, let's save that cost right save the cost whether you are engaged in therapy or not you still use data you watch youtube you'll be on social media so use that data let's just have this one hour conversation one hour session and you're good to go and i can see that, that has become something in in the country a lot of professionals are embracing virtual therapy what in some clients called telehealth services and clients are also open to because you don't even need to see my face right you don't need to see my face I don't need to see your face, so it's becoming easier for people to really really embrace therapy as it is because now they know that they're able to talk to someone without necessarily even seeing the person's face. So I think we're improving gradually.
1: Gradually, no country is fully there yet, so I just need to clarify that. <laughs> okay, so Thank you very much. So earlier, you talked about a number of things that you were involved in. So let's begin to unpack them gradually. So you're currently a volunteer at the Mentally Aware Nigeria Initiative, Money. You're the founder of the Mind and Health Community and served as a board director on the World Federation of Mental Health. Now, tell us a bit about these initiatives. What are they about and what have you been doing with them so far?
2: Okay, so um, up until 1st of January, I was a volunteer at Mentally Aware Nigeria Initiative. I currently do not volunteer there anymore. I am now the chief operations officer for wow. the organization. Wow. Yes.
1: Congratulations. Um,
2: thank you. Um, so basically, Mental Health in Nigeria Initiative, money for short, is a youth focused, youth driven mental health initiative started about five years ago by young people, basically, about five of them were doctors. Who had experience with mental health and realized that they didn't really have anybody to talk to, especially as a young person. And that led them to start. It's, it's purely volunteer run. So we've had a number of um, initiatives, running projects, and all. And one of our key products is the counseling, the free counseling that we offer to people. Via basically give their chat, right? So you sign up, and then a counselor reaches out to you and then take people through that cancer. And then we'll do advocacy as well. Uh, we're into advocacy you know, a whole lot. I'm trying as much as possible to have the Nigerian government rewrite and change the Lunacy Act that we currently have to something more liberal or more, more progressive with the current day realities and also change them. So that's all that about mental energy initiative. The Mind and Health Committee is a community I started just to have people together to have conversations around mental and i wanted to get a group of them you know together it started on facebook but for almost a year i've lost my access to facebook so i have had to move them to telegram and i changed that name from and now to rising heroes and I, I i made that rising heroes because I, I want to create a positive mindset in people that look no matter where you are you can rise right and that's also the name of my podcast rising heroes podcast Encourage that look where you are. You can move from where you are to where you want to be, as long as you believe that you can. Whether it's in your health, your finance, your career, you can actually move from wherever you are to where you want to be. My role at the World Federation of Mental Health. I got into that role two years ago. So it's usually November, so I'm in my second year. Usually it's a two-year tenure. It's my second year of my first year, um, which of course is the only that I I can run in that particular office. And it's basically to oversee what is happening in Africa, the activities of the organization in Africa. Um, There's a vice president, so the vice president does more of the operational stuff, while for me is to work hand in hand with the vice president. World Federation for Mental Health is the owner of the World Mental Health Day. We choose the topic, we, we create the outline and collaborate with WHO, but we, at the World Federation for Mental Health owned that day. It was initiated by us and uh, so far they've had just three Nigerians hold key positions in that particular federation, myself being the third. The first Nigerian president was Sa uh, Manuwa, who happened to be, a, a, was a doctor. Then one of the very first few doctors or psychiatrists that Nigeria had many years ago. And then um, Currently is um, a certain professor based in the UK. He was president about four or six years ago now. Professor Gabriel, yes, Gabriel Evijaro, And then myself being a director. So it's been an interesting working with you from different regions. So we have the African region, the Latin America, about six regions or thereabouts interactive. We usually have the World Mental Health Conference every November. This year is going to be in the United Kingdom, this year in November. And uh, plans have started already. Uh, maybe subscriber, I will share the information with you. There's a website, um, there's a website for that. So um, hopefully um, we'll get more people to attend. So that's basically about me and what I do in each of those places.
1: Wow, I mean. You seem to have a lot of impacts, not just locally, but internationally as well. I mean, you, there are so many things about you. Maybe let me just talk about a few more before we go move into some other things. Now, apart from being a medical practitioner, you're also a life coach. And by virtue of that, you do a lot of public speaking, including places like the MTN Foundation Project, um, the ASAP Roundtable Conference 2019, um, TEDx Oshogo, TVC, Rave TV, Channels TV, Lagos Talks. I mean, the list goes on and on. How did you get to do all of this public speaking? And what was your first experience like when you had to do public speaking? Do you mind sharing with us maybe the worst experience you've had so far?
2: (laughs) So the, the first time I ever held the microphone in my entire life was, I think I was less than 10. So growing up then in the northern part of Nigeria, Sokoto precisely. So my church used to have what they call Children's Day celebration. And that year, they just knew I was going to be the one to preach. I was like, what's me? Preach from where? Where can I start from? You know, and they used to have two services. So I mean, the English, the English section wasn't difficult for me because it was English, right? And the pulpit wasn't that high for me to, to stand behind. But then it was time for me to go preach in the Yoruba section. They had this tall Our I, I was a sh- short boy like me. That is tall. They had to put a stool for me to <laughs> climb on. <laughs> you know, and when I stood and I saw the entire church, I was like, what? In my mind, I'm like, where do I start from? And I hope that I won't insult people with my message. And I think the message that day was, Why do you come to church? Like, I can't forget. I can't forget, you know. And there was part of that message that said, Some of you, you come to church to read newspaper. And just at the end of the seat, there was a particular man reading newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) When I saw the man, I just put my head down, like, to Lucia, Hmm, you have just looked for trouble. (laughs) But that experience, I mean, made so much impact in my life that I can't forget till today. And from that day onward, my father would tell me that I would arrange stools at our corridor and say, I'm running I'm running a church. I'll be the preacher, I'll be the choir master, I'll be in everything. Now some days I'll say I'm running a school. So I would, I would assume that there are students sitting on the chair and then I'll bring out cane and then I'll be teaching them, you know, So by the time I got into secondary school, um, I went to particular school and they would always send me out to attend seminars. And the principal would tell me that I'm going to address the entire school, telling them what I've learned or what we learned from seminars. So one day I was in the assembly. I just came. So, Lucia, huh? And as a teenager, I was stylishly notorious. So I would be at the back, Looking for trouble. Sure, I should be in front. I'll be at the back looking for trouble. Stay with those that are taller than I am. And then she'll just call my name. And they you know, like, hey, okay, so tell the entire school what you learned from so-so-so conference that you attended and all that. And that was how I would have to address the entire school, you know, and then later I became the senior prefect, you know, and all that. But I think my biggest audience, my biggest audience came when I was in the university. So when I, before I went to school, I was a chorister. When I got to school, I became a teacher. So, I mean, I was having, I was teaching my fellow students, you know, like that, like that. And then one day, the Bible study coordinator said, I told you, look, today you're going to be taking Bible study. So we had a central chapel that was sitting 5,000 students. And I was like, so I told him to win for that man. I don't see myself standing on this podium to teach these students. Man, this is too large. Facing all these people, no, 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 no. And so he was like, don't worry. someday it'll be your turn. And the next Thursday, he just took me on Wednesday. to research. they're taking Bible studies. I was like, OK, no problem. So what's yeah? What set am I telling? Like, no, actually, it's general. I'm going to take the entire school. And I mounted that podium. It was like the floor to swallow <laughs> me. Because the way our auditorium is, uh, when I was in school, it had three wings, the central wing facing you, and two other wings to your left and right. Man, when I got there, I was like, hmm. And you know, students, there were no- noisemakers here and there. I was like, I need to learn how to capture these people, and to also deal with my own anxiety and, and being my being nervous. So I adopted a method. And that helped me to update if i'm to speak anywhere rather than go straight to the topic i try to create a conversation around something that everybody's conversant with that way i get their attention and then they begin to listen also uh, if i'm walking there i put one hand in my pocket it creates a sense of authority for me that I'm able to have authority over myself and over the people I'm going to speak with to capture them. Some see it as me being proud. Of, that's their business. It allows me to comport myself, get myself together, and then I get there, and then I'm able to, you know, start the conversation that of some that they are very familiar with, and then from there enter into um, whatever it is that I need to do. So maybe that's been my. I think that one of the 5,000 was my ever first biggest challenge as an adult, and maybe the one as a child. But as an adult, I've had, I've had tough scenarios, where. So I don't write my speeches, Funny enough. I don't write my speeches. So I think my biggest embarrassment was that I decided to write down what I wanted to see. <laughs> and I got there and it was just not making sense. Like what I would written was not making sense at all. I tell people that if it comes to me, Italian, wake me up. You can have a conversation without me writing anything down. But that day I decided I was going to write something down and it just didn't make sense. And I realized I was struggling. I was struggling. So after I just dumped the notes and tried to be myself. Now, in Being Myself, it allows me to flow and have the conversation because I, I'm a kind of person that, for example, if you come to me for therapy, I integrate life coaching into my therapy sessions. So if you ask me to come and speak about depression, I integrate life as a where reality of life into it as well. So, but having that note that day, I tried to streamline whatever I told I wanted to talk about, but everybody was just looking at me like, sometimes I was like, are you guys getting me out of, the response was, hmm, still, I was like, you know what, let's leave this thing, and I became myself, which is why if you invite me to speak, unless you tell me it's a seminar, I don't prepare slides, I just come there and talk, but if you tell me it's a seminar, I was the okay, I'm coming to lecture people, so I'll pour my thoughts into my slide, bit, 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 and then have notes somewhere, so that while I show you this slide, I'm still able to to grind it down to the to the to the least that I can. So yeah, those are my those are my my experiences.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting experiences. And I'm glad that we're we not putting you in the position where you have to write anything down today so that you can be free <laughs> to share things with us. Okay, so now let's go into the topic that you will be talking about today, which is complexes and how to rise above them. Now, you're talking to largely educators. So in plain terms, what do you mean by the word complexes?
2: Thank you. So complexes in this case is as it relates to psychology. So um, we have inferiority complex and we have superiority complex. A lot of times we talk so much about inferiority complex that we don't talk about superiority complex. Now, let me try to explain, and I hope I'll be able to explain it very well. So you we talk about complexes. It's a level of interaction first with ourselves and then with other persons. It's a point where, how do you see yourself? That's how you see yourself that influences how you interact with other people. And the reason why you have inferiority complex, which was a concept by Sigmund Freud, the father of psychology, uh, is that the self esteem that people have placed on themselves influences how they interact with people. So for example, if I feel that you are bigger and higher than I am, I'm going to approach you from that angle of, I need your help, I need to lick your feet for you to listen to me. I need to greet you 50 times a day when I meet you so that you can reckon with me and, and treat me like I am a human being, like I'm valid, right? It's also a priority complex that we see happen on social media these days, where everybody wants to post fine pictures, whereas there are, that they are, there are things that they are dealing with and some of them have not even eaten for a day. And you realize that it has eaten deep into the fabric of our skin that people now find it difficult to even be themselves. And so you begin to find people who are having alter egos. You begin to find people who are trying to be someone else that they really are not. so they struggle. Sometimes when I see the CVs of people and um, I laugh when I see ability to work under pressure. Or you see people's see and you know there is a copy and paste of one CV to another because it doesn't even tally with whatever it is that they have been doing before now. And so inferiority complex is, a, for me, it's an indicator of the level of your self-esteem. It's an indicator of something that you are fighting, something you're struggling with, something that you're trying to cover up. Let me create a picture. So imagine someone who has your legs amputated. By default, that person would feel, I am not good anymore. I have just one leg. Look at someone that has two legs. They can run, they can play football, they can do this, they can do that. I have just one leg, so I shouldn't even bother going to the football field to watch them. I remember back in school, in university, a friend of mine, a very good footballer, had an accident on the field, and he had to go. And then by the time he came back, he had a cast on his leg. I mean, almost two semesters. So he was using crutches. And then I realized that when people are going to play football, it will just be in the hostel. So one day I was like, "Look, you know what? Let's go to the field what are we going to do at the field? You have to stand can the camp and say, yes, you need it. You need it because you need to realize that the only reason why you are not on that field is because you have a bad leg, not that you are not a footballer anymore. The only reason why you are not on that field is not that you can't play football or that people don't reckon with you that you're a good footballer. It's just because you have a temporary disability, in But you see, if that wasn't done, there's a likelihood for that guy to write himself off. There's a likelihood for him to feel, look, you know what? I'm done, I mean, what, 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 my, what, what can I do anymore? And, and it's simply like, okay, I can't speak good English. I have bad diction. Uh, my, my, my teeth are bad. My hair is short. Uh, you know, and, and different things. I remember in secondary school, um, my voice, people used to use my voice to, to diss me, to yab me that my voice was deep. I mean, I gave a special number one day, and then someone gave me the nickname Jaru. And at some point, my complexion said I was too dark, to the extent that at some point, started calling me a malaya. I had to fight it. Like, look, that is not my nickname. And one day I was discussing with a teacher, and a particular boy passed by and called me black boy. And I was like, really? Come, 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 come. So who is calling another person black boy. Let's look at your palms. Your palms are even darker than his palms, you know. So I said to myself that look, come to think of it, yes, I may be dark skin, but there is something about me that makes me unique. And you know what I held on to? My teeth. I said, the beautiful thing is if I enter a dark place, you may not see my face, but if I talk, you'll see my teeth. So that thing I use as a sense of honor for myself. So it can't come and colour shame me. It cannot work. It cannot work. So People bear this burden of inferiority complex based on how they perceive other people and they feel that they are lower than the other person. And the reverse side is superiority complex. You feel that you are the best person for everything. You can do no wrong. And because of that, you trample on people. Now, the danger of these two things is that, one, you would find yourself at that point where you are neither here nor there. And when you need help, People won't know that you need help because over time, you have shown yourself that you're superior. When you should ask for help, you would find it difficult to ask for help if you have a forensic complex because you would assume that nobody would even want to help you. And you'd be tempted to assume that everybody have it all figured out, forgetting that the fact that they smile, they come to the office every day, doesn't necessarily mean that they have it all figured out. And so it's important that we see ourselves at that neutral level that, look, I am where I am today. I don't have to be excessively rich for me to interact with the rich. I don't have to be poor for me to interact with the poor, but I should be able to interact with everybody and treat every man and woman as a human being. It's a call, it's a call to embrace our humanity and find out who we really are. It's a call for us to work on the things that drive us, uh, our, our self-esteem, How anxious do we become? How fearful are we? How much of anger do we have within us based on past experiences? How much of of trembling do we experience just because we feel somebody has what we don't have? And because of that, we underestimate our value, underestimate ourselves and assume that nothing good can come out of us. So how do you handle all of this? It's first of all, tell yourself and ask yourself, who exactly am I? What exactly are your values? What defines you? A lot of times, we don't know what our values are, we don't know what defines us, we just live our lives, whatever comes, we take and we move on. Your values make you who you are, such that if I meet Charles, and Charles asks about Cynthia, what Charles will say about Cynthia, to me, should be similar to what Victor would say about Cynthia, to me. Why? Because over time, in different aspects of your life, um, faith, relationship, integrity, and all that, you are the same person. So depending on the level at which I'm interacting with you, or the reason for which I'm interacting with you, I should be able to take those things from you. So developing a value system. A value system will let you accept some things. A value system will help you push away some things. With a value system, there are certain things that they will not bring close to you because they know that this is who you are. With a value system, there are certain places you will not go to. There are certain things you will not engage in. There are certain things you will not see. There are certain things that when they hear it and they are told that this person said, they'll say no. This person cannot say it. Secondly, respect people and pay attention to who they are. Don't ever for once think that you are the best in this world. Look, the rich needs the poor. The poor needs the rich. We all need each other. The brilliant ones need the not so brilliant ones. The intelligent ones need the not so intelligent ones because we are all interwoven. I mean, For you to have this conference, you need both speakers and attendees. Imagine if you had attendees and there were no speakers. Imagine you had speakers and there were no attendees, then there is no conference. So there is no you. There is nothing you are building. There is nothing you are selling without the people who will either use your service or use your product. And those who need the service and product cannot get it if the producer is not there. There is nothing we'll be going to do in schools to learn if there were no teachers or lecturers. And for you to be a teacher or lecturer because there is the concept of studentship, of scholarship. And to realize that life in itself is flat, such that as you move to and fro, you meet people. And the ability to interact with all and sundry makes you a total person. That you're in this space does not mean that you should not interact with people in this space. That you are an educator, a teacher, does not mean that you should not interact with doctors, that you're a doctor, as you should not interact with caterers and chefs, because you pick learnings from each and every person. And if you find yourself at that point where well, you think less of yourself, sit back and ask yourself, what is it that I think is making me feel terrible? What am I seeing around that I desire to have, but I don't have? The moment you realize that they begin to find out, how do I get this thing legitimately. Now, if that is not working, I won't, I won't even deceive you, then look for someone to help you deal with those things. Inferiority complex is deadly. Inferiority complex is deadly. I think I'll stop it for now.
1: Wow, thank you very much. So you've talked about the inferiority complex, and also the superiority complex, like you says sometimes a lot of people neglect that um, it's also as deadly as the inferiority complex. Now, you're speaking to largely educators today. In my own opinion, I feel a lot of educators, especially in this part of the world, in Nigeria here, face a level of inferiority complex because we're in a profession that is seemingly irrelevant in quotes. And what do I mean by that? So for example, in the university system in the jam, for example, if you get so 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 cut-off mark, you can go for this profession, you can go for this course, but if you get the least cut-off is applicable or is available for those teachers going to the college of education and all of that. I feel it's also a sort of way where it makes them feel, you know what, we are actually the inferior in the society. If you talk about the pay grade as well, the teachers are almost the least paid in the society and it's somewhat brings a form of inferiority complex. So for those that may be experiencing some of these things, how would you advise to get out of this? To be very honest, I respect teachers. I love teachers. I had the
2: opportunity to teach during my youth service. I taught in a girls-only school, Baptist Girls' College in Okuta, And naturally, I love to teach, but that's different from teaching as a profession. That you wake up every day, and you know that when others are picking up their suits, and others are picking up their lab coats, and all that, you are picking up your marker or your chalk to teach. All I can say to educators is, thank you. Um, unfortunately, it's not that the country does not regard you. It's not that the country does not rate you. It's just unfortunate that teaching. Has become a profession for even those who are not able to go anywhere, but they just feel it's easier for them to become a teacher. It's also sad that they has become that department in schools where they throw everybody to when they are no longer making headway in their choice course. Enter any university today, and you'd realize that the largest faculty is faculty of education. But then you would ask yourself, if indeed the faculty of education is churning out teachers who really want to be teachers shouldn't be very learned in our society are we really learned Mm. so for those of you who have chosen to be educators see it as a goal why are you an educator let me say the honest truth there is no profession that is very rewarding Except for the reward that you seek from it yourself. There is no profession that can really compensate in terms of pay for how much work you put into it. But even myself, I'm not a professional teacher. Let me tell you my greatest joy when some of the girls I taught sent me a message, they said, Ah, Mr. ah, thank you. I'm like, who are you now? Mr. So-so-and-so-so. Why? Because in one way or the other, I contributed to the academic progress. No matter how much I didn't like any of my teachers in secondary school, I cannot downgrade them. Because if they did not take me through each step of the way, I wouldn't be here. I remember in my secondary when I failed chemistry in my YA. my chemistry teacher was annoyed because he knew how good I was in chemistry. And I mean, I could understand where it was coming from, right? So. I don't want you to see it like you're not regarded. I don't want to see it like they don't care about us. I want you to focus your attention away from the government and focus it on the generations that you are raising. The generation who will someday take over the reins of power in corporations, organizations, and maybe even country. There are Nigerians who are taking over reins of power overseas, US, Canada, a teacher taught them but may I also say something that can we move from just teaching the subject assigned to us to teach students beyond the subject and life i am not saying it is compulsory. but i will share experience and experience with you during my service here as a copper who didn't even study education i was expected to teach computer science from ss from gs1 to ss3 and then physical and health education to GS2 and gss 3 And when I got to the school, I realized that they had no computer. And I said, you know what? I cannot teach this computer without computers. And interestingly, so they got a few ones and I started teaching them. And every week they would write tests using the computer. That year, I took the SS students to write their exams using the computer. That was the year Jam introduced CBT. Mm -hmm. Now imagine if I had stuck with the status quo, to say, you know what, let's just be teaching by book. Those students that were exposed to CBT that year, they came back, say, ah, thank you. So even I had left the school. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Before I joined, they had screamed that they didn't want to computer anymore because they were not enjoying the person I was teaching them. What did I try to do? I looked at how they being taught before. I had to come down to their level. I had to help them see their grades. So every week they would write a test. And it's not that you write tests and then you get scripts next to No. At a point, they could tell that before the close of school, they would get their test scripts. That may not work for every teacher. I'm not using myself as a standard. Please understand with me. I'm not using myself as a standard. I'm just sharing an experience of how I saw a lacuna. And I felt, look, let's experiment this now. Because I was doing that, it became a challenge to the teachers that I met in the school. I wasn't a teacher. I was just a copper. So when they now go to their team, like, ah, sir, so i tell you, you get it. I'm like, ah, well, copper told to give us our test script the same day or two days time. It became a challenge. Sometimes I would enter the class. Hey, what's up, student? What's happening? And because it was a girls' only school, as a guy, fresh cream and all that, I knew that it was a challenge. There would be a challenge of attachment, crush, and all that. So I had my guard on. But sometimes I would enter the class. So what happens so is they would have conversations and not able teach. Why? Because we need to build a total mark. So please, educators, us. let us build a total man, as much as we impart knowledge into them with respect to the subject, which is why, let me tell you the honest truth, parents didn't just send their children to school because they wanted to learn mathematics, I must tell you the honest truth. They expect that whatever issue that child has, the school will fix it, especially in a place like Nigeria, most especially in a place like Lagos, where parents live on 5 a.m. They don't even see the children until weekend. They expect that whatever problem that child has, just tell me how much it is. Just solve it, sort it out. So I don't want to appeal to educators that, look, we love you, right? We love you, but please realize that it is not about the government or the system. We have systems issue. I use that word systems, because it's not about the educational system. We have a lot of systems issues as a country, but we also need to realize that in spite of all this, you are raising generation of leaders. You're raising generation of change makers. You're raising people who will take over the race of power. But can you move beyond just teaching them that subject that has been assigned to you and take a deeper interest in their life? Be the concerned about their well-being, and which is why last no, the year before, we couldn't do much last, the year before, we were going to schools and teaching teachers on mental health and mental well-being. So when you enter a class and realize that the student is just quiet all through or, or a student in court is unruly it's not because that student has chosen to be unruly if you spend some time with that student you just might be able to save a life so see it as a calling right yes the pay thing i mean the union's involved with but see it as a calling and see that whatever it is that i'm doing for this child it's not just for him or even for myself because Life, (laughs) you never can tell. Tomorrow, your child might want to get married to that student that you taught. Tomorrow, your child might be working in the same office with that student that you taught. So would you be able to say to yourself clearly, I taught that child? Or would you hide your face and say, no, I don't know you. Every student that comes your way is a seed sown. Everything you say to that child, that student, the seed sown, the impact that will have in the life of that child, and our fight will even you yourself, cannot fathom.
1: Wow, wow! Very, very impressive words of encouragement to all our educators, and I bet that my educators are feeling very excited where they are right now. Okay, sir. So. This pandemic has caused a lot of people to spend so much more time indoors, thereby reducing the physical and social interaction to a large extent. Now, there has been a lot of researches and studies here and there, but I'll I'll point of direction to one particular one I saw recently. It was done by the Psychiatric Times and um, it was conducted on children between ages 3 and 18, in Italy and Spain in particular and it was recorded that 85.7% of parents reported that their children experienced some changes in emotional behaviours. What that means is the pandemic largely affected their behaviours and I'm sure it's the same thing all over the world including Nigeria. So how would you recommend to educators, to parents to help first of all themselves deal with these situations and then the children deal with these situations? sir? What we have always
2: seen is that parents were spending less time with their children. And what the pandemic brought to us was that parents began to see the real color of their children. I tend to differ that the pandemic caused it. Now, what I want to say is there were certain things there before that it was the teachers who were seeing them and who were managing them because they're probably spending most of their time back at school. Now, the same way that research showed about a change in behavior of the children. Also, there was a research that showed to us that there were more domestic violence between couples and the cause of the pandemic. You think the problems just showed up that day? No, it had been there. But well, because both of them would go to work for morning, come back at night all they do is eat, and then go to bed. But during the pandemic, they had reasons to be in each other's faces. The nuances that were not seen before, started showing forth. The real deal for everyone is to realize that there is nothing out there that the pandemic has not brought to us. It has helped us discover ourselves. It has shown the hidden talent, skill, and gifts in some people that too much of activity did not let us see that allowed people to be themselves because there was no place to hide. For educators, children will come back to school and you see a new set of people. Learn them. Learn these students. Try to understand why they're behaving that way. Don't be quick to judge them. Some of them are coming from abusive homes. Some of them are coming from dysfunctional homes. School might have been a way of escape for many of them. And with the absence of school, during the pandemic, they had to fight to remain alive. They had to fight to be, they, they, and for, for the young ones, three three down to say maybe 12, they have learned by communication. They have learned by seeing what their parents were doing, what their siblings were doing, and does now become part of them. So please, it's not the time for you to treat them just like they are disobedient or unruly, really no. It's a time for you to understand and have conversations with them and find out how is mommy, how is daddy, what is happening at home. Try as much as possible to understand what they have gone through in the past month. Almost a year now that we have been in this situation. For some countries longer, right? But try to understand what has changed while they were at home, right? And help them to transition back to the way they ought to be. Is it going to be easy? No. Or is it possible? Yes. So like I said, some of these things were there before, or because time was not being spent with each other, they were not able to actually see those
1: things. Hmm. Thank you very much. And speaking about the domestic violence you talked about, I remember during the pandemic, I saw a research that came out that in China, um, the amount of couples that had put in for divorce cases had almost doubled. That the Chinese government had to speak to them. That you guys, you know what? Calm down and try to sort out your differences and all of that, so that they don't overwhelm the courts and all of that. That's fine, sir. All right, sir. So um, as we begin to to wind this down, if you had the opportunity to be the minister of health for one day, just 24 hours in Nigeria, what would you ensure you do with the time you have in office,
2: sir? Hmm interesting i think for me when it comes to health in nigeria a subsidy prioritize healthcare so three sectors that i feel we should prioritize as a country one healthcare two education and three power when power is available people will spend less on fuel because they are spending less on fuel, they can do business very well and make profits. Because they can make profits, they're able to spend more on education and spend more time with their family. And because they can do that, even when they, they will also be able to eat good food, and even with that, they'll be able to afford health care without
1: necessarily emptying their And yeah, that's because you gave
0: me 24 hours.
1: So our budget needs to pay attention to health care. Thank you very much. So you would ensure that a larger percentage of our budget focuses on healthcare as much as possible, subsidizing healthcare for the populace. Yeah. Thank you very much. So if you could recommend one book or maybe one digital resource or one online resource for our educators, especially in the area of mental health, how to remain healthy mentally, what would that And be, sir? Because
0: you gave me 24
1: hours. Let me get to the book. I'd like to show you. Wow.
2: Impressive, sir. I see that. The title of this book is Option B, hmm. written by Sheree Sandberg. Sheree Sandberg is a, is a Facebook staff. Uh, I think she's a vice president at Facebook. This book talks about how things will not go the way you expect them to go.
1: Hmm.
2: Are there are times that you experience terrible situations or you realize that it's not the end of it. There is always an Option B. There's always an Find Option it B. Find and adopt it.
1: Fantastic, thank you very much. I've not finished reading it, that's changed my life and how I see things. Fantastic, option B. All right, uh, so imagine you woke up one day and just about everything we knew about Solution Francis had disappeared, which means no one knew you anymore, nobody had heard of you before, and you had to start your life and your career all over again. Where would you start from, and what would you do differently this time? Where will I start from? Mm, I think. I'm going to
2: start from accepting myself, first of all, and selling myself. So accepting myself in the sense that accepting my uniqueness and knowing that I am unique. And that's what I'll sell to everybody. So who is Tulisha? Oh, do you want to know who Tulisha is? OK, can you spend just one minute with me and actually know who I am? It's a good question that you ask. Everything is wiped here. I think another thing is, I'll still come back to health. I'll still come back to mental
1: health. I will always come back to mental health. Hmm. Thank you very much, sir. So if people needed to maybe find out more about what you do or connect with you in one way or the other, where's the best place for them to reach you, answer?
2: I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Same name, Toluse Francis. Uh, I'm on YouTube, Toluse Francis. My podcast, Rising Heroes podcast, type that out on, on Google. Or if you just type my name on Google, just go to Google. Just type to Toluse, T O L U S C Dove, D-O-V-E, Francis, F-R-A-S, C-I-S. Everything about me in this life will come out. Everywhere I've been to, everything I have dipped my
1: hand into, you see it there. Thank you very much sir. And finally, on a more personal note, how has this pandemic affected you personally?
2: To be honest, uh, that affected me in both ways. It's, it's, it's been positive and it's been negative. I can say that the positive outweighs the negative negative because I've not been able to go out, I've not been able to hold speaking engagement, but hey, I will not lie to you. I had a whole lot of speaking engagement between March and December 2020. A lot of virtual speaking engagement. I mean, I spoke at an international conference that held in Cadiz, that the year before, they couldn't afford transporting me over because of the pandemic, they had me, (laughs) you know so i mean not i i not even just one i think another one that happened in ukraine uh and i also had the opportunity of reviewing for the journal of clinical psychology um, twice now so i would not say that the pandemic was terrible just like every other day some challenges come to you but within that challenge there is always an option to look for it
1: Hmm, Within every challenge, there's always an option B. Thank you very much. So any last words for our educators and our viewers watching right now, sir? Hey, all I'll just
2: say is whatever it is that has happened in your past, leave your past behind. The bad past, leave them behind. Don't run away from them. Deal with them, but leave them there and look towards your future. Embrace that future that you want from today. Why? Because your past is a journey right whatever do, wherever you are right now is still a process wherever you're going to is the future but you cannot throw your past away and want to just surface somewhere right so don't run from your past deal with it leave it there and then transit to now but again from now from here from today embrace your future and how do you do that where you want to be in five years time is a function of how you begin to start from today it doesn't just jump at you so whatever you're doing as educators or for those who are just listening on or, or, or watching this, remember that wherever you want to be, in two, three years time, started from yesterday into today, and until you get to that place.
1: Wow. Thank you very much, Mr. Toluse Dobe Francis. It's been such an awesome and wonderful time for you, having to share your wealth of experience with us today. I'm so excited. I'm sure all our viewers are as excited as I am. Once again, we appreciate you for being with us on the Impact Educators Conference.
2: Thank you very much. I'm grateful for the opportunity.
1: All right, sir. thank you.